This time on Watchers of Tomorrow, 5,000 Quatloos on Gepwin Pile Driving Izix. everyone, welcome to Watchers of Tomorrow. My name is Gep, and I am joined, as always, by my friend and co-host, Dr. Izix. Hi! And this week we watched an absolute turd of an episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that's about right. <laughs> the Game Masters of Triskelion. Which I guess is, uh... In some ways, it's one of the more noted or like remembered bits or episodes, but it's more elements as opposed to the entirety of the thing, I think. Yeah. At least for me. Well, there's some some visuals that show up from time to time in other things, and the stupid quat Like, I'd, I'd heard quat lose before as just a dumb <laughs> name. In fact, I think I've mentioned it before here. So. <laughs> yeah. It was the only thing that I... Re- like, every time they said it, all I could think about was the Futurama episode. I want my Quatloos. <laughs> this was written by Margaret Ehrman, who wrote uh, other contemporary TV, basically. Uh, there are many, many, too many guest stars in this episode. whole pile of them. So I'm going to be mentioning the main two who we interact with, because everybody else either has no speaking lines or one speaking line. So, oh... They can, or, or some grunting. Yeah, basically some grunting. So we have Angelique Pettyjohn playing Shauna. 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 She was in a lot of cult classic films from the 60s to the 80s and a lot of guest spots on TV. Uh, she's been around. Yeah, man. I don't recognize a lot of these titles, but a couple of them I do. Like, I have no idea what Cargo of Love is, so... <laughs> The only other particularly notable guest star was Joseph Ruskin, who plays Master Thrall Galt. Galt? Wait, is his first name John? Oh, God. <laughs> Are we dealing with libertarian, uh, like, objectivists here again? Oh. No. Though, this guy, I, this guy is the interesting distinction of having played a character in every single incarnation of star trek excluding the most recent discovery yeah he's a he's a, a, a doctor in enterprise he was a vulcan and voyager he was like a klingon and like another person in ds9 uh and he was, was he also in? an alien in star trek insurrection so he gets into next gen ah. as well as playing several episodes of the twilight zone and outer limits so he's gotten it. He's been in a lot of things like, yes. since the fifties. <laughs> he was good. I, mean, I don't. I'd have to look up these th- his roles. He was on the first episode of Enterprise. The poor bugger. <laughs> uh, I think I remember his his uh, Klingon character from DS Nine because uh, uh, it was uh, the House of Quark episode was one of them. Um, he's like the older Klingon, I think. Ah, those episodes were horrible. A little awkward, but I. I kind of liked at least some of the ideas behind them, but, yeah, execution, you know. <laughs> I've been re-watching DS9 recently, and I've come to the conclusion that all of the Quark episodes are silly and weird, weirdly tonally dissident comic relief in the middle of everything else they were doing. And it's also 95% of that show. Yep. <laughs> like, damn it. Uh, but... Yeah, we we can talk about that sort of stuff. Uh, we get to DS Nine in a, a few years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For now, we still have to try to talk about the Game Masters of Triskelion, and I'm going to do my best to pound this thing into something recognizable as a plot. All right. Um, should, should I do a, a hum a hum along uh, tune to help you with that, or not too much? <laughs> yes, I think I know what you. Well, well, how about this? How how would I uh, uh, start it off with the captain's log as I writ- written it down? Okay. Captain's log. Entering orbit over Gamma 2. No one lives here, but the robots run navigation thing, I think. Or maybe it's just a computer. What's the difference? I don't know. I'm bored. I hope nothing weird happens while we're here. Yes, as pointed out in the captain's log. <laughs> the Enterprise is orbiting a planet called Gamma 2 to inspect an unmanned communications station. 
Kirk, Chekhov, and O'Hara are ready to beam down. This time, O'Hara makes sense to be on an away party because they're checking a communications array. Indeed. So she for might, once, might, it makes sense. Yeah, so she might know how to, like, you know, you, you adjust the equipment, you know, or anything sort of weird that's uh, communications array specific. She's the person to bring down. They're all standing on the transporter pad ready to beam down when they all suddenly disappear. That was a quick beam down. And as Scotty points out later on, this is in a manner not consistent with normal transporting. Yes. <laughs> People just don't vanish. <laughs> There's a bunch of weird comedy back and forth between like Scotty and Spock and McCoy that doesn't fit in well. But there are things like that. Like, they disappeared. You mean because they're on the transporter? Well, not just because they're on the transporter. <laughs> they disappeared in a way not to, you know, kind of fitting with transporting. Are you sure? <laughs> it's like, come on. Get to the point. The three of them wake up on a planet with a trinary sun in a large caged area that has a weird, big, kind of simplistic symbol on the ground in the middle of it with some benches and things. It's like uh, some sort of, you know, I don't know, uh, flux capacitor design. There we go. Scotty, back on the ship, is concerned about the disappearance of the landing party, but neither he nor Spock has any clue what could have possibly happened, and they're nowhere to be found in the current system. Yeah, so although we're useless most of the episode, don't worry about it. Back in the area that we will later come to learn is the arena, the landing party are surrounded by alien beings. Two are women, one has yellow skin with orange hair, the other is orange and has green hair. There's a large furry man with big vampire teeth and a normal dude with a knife. The normal guy, of the lot, the normal guy is the most assholeish. just so you know. He's just a dude with a knife. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Their phasers do not function, so Kirk orders them to go hand-to-hand. -hand. And, like, if he didn't order them to do hand-to-hand -hand combat, would they have just stood there? Yes, of course. <laughs> Chekhov does his normal comedy thing where he punches a guy and it doesn't do anything because he's short. Uh, Ch Chekhov, get some like robot arms, something like that. I, I don't know how we're going to help you otherwise. Ahura is immediately captured by the two women, but Kirk, of course, defeats normal man, but is taken down by the green-haired woman, and then a bald man appears. Now, I would like to point out during the division of the fight there, Chekhov goes after the really, really big guy. Kurt goes after normal dude, and Uhura takes on both ladies. Now, Uhura's a, a badass, but still two to one. Is, but take on's a bit much, because they keep cutting over to her, and they basically they have just have her pinned the entire time. Yeah, she, she's more uh, you know, you'll, you'll, uh, punch people and things like that while they're grapple experts. So, yeah, different fighting styles, you know. The man who appeared <laughs> is Galt, Master Thrall. He welcomes them all and takes them to holding cells where they are fitted with collars, which everyone else is wearing. This seems to be the uh, the the the, uh, the, uh, the dress of the, uh, the occasion. Well, I guess when in Rome. And they were told that they are brought here to be trained as thralls for the entertainment of the providers. Hmm. Not sure I like that name. Kirk is nonplussed by this because he says they must be a mistake. We're not thralls. We're, you know, Federation officers, which... To me, means they don't have a problem with the concept of this slavery stuff. They just think they got the wrong guy. Yeah, well, there is the Orion slave trade, after all. So, you know, the, the Far Future Federation's A-OK -okay with slavery, just not for their people. Kirk tries to punch the guards and escape before they're put into the cells, but Galt's eyes light up, and the collars they're wearing apparently give them great pain, and they fall over. Note to self, don't piss off Galt. He tells them that escape is impossible and they should go sit down. The Enterprise still has no idea where Kirk and company are, and McCoy is getting mad at Spock for McCoy reasons. <laughs> because McCoy's kind of a dick. Back in the cell block, Big Guy with Teeth goes to Ahura's cell, and with them both out of sight, we hear screaming and see some struggling shadows. I thought that wait, I, I thought that was a uh, normal guy. I thought that was big guy. I thought it was normal guy. <laughs> I, I did down as normal guy in my thing here. Anyway, <laughs> one of guys. <laughs> one of the random dudes here. 
We never really find out what happens, but there's a disturbing amount of screaming, and it's never brought up again, and it was pointless and stupid and disturbing and didn't need to be in here. It was very uncomfortable. Also, the other woman goes into Chekhov's cell, and she's looks big and muscular, so Chekhov is uncomfortable, and this is funny, I guess. Chekhov doesn't like powerful women that's his preference but still this is kind of just being played in a really awkward fashion kirk's cellmate is the green-haired woman shauna who comes in with a tray of food and uh, she's here to uh, not assault him but to feed him apparently back on the ship they found some sort of weird energy reading thing it's not much but it's the only thing they've got so spock orders them to follow it and mccoy and scotty are nonplussed for reasons it's like some sort of laser beam through a gas cloud or something like that. So it's going off in that direction. And then I have to wonder, so if this thing's like a normal, like real world energy thing, that would require them to be transported there. And it's going to be how many light years before. And so they should still still technically be in transit. And I'm like, wait, I'm thinking about Star Trek too much as far as technical side things go. Yeah, Star Trek is not a techie sci-fi show it's magic (laughs) kirk interrogates shauna he learns that these collars are the way that they punish people for disobedience and that she is his trainer she's going to bring him food and also that she doesn't know that she's beautiful i tried to put a barf emoji in my notes but i don't know how to read that Yeah, this is the part where uh, yeah, you know, Kirk shows uh, her the reflection in the uh, in the tray, right? Yes. Yeah. It's like you have never seen yourself before. I'm defining you specifically as beautiful, and that doesn't really give you much context on what the word even means. Still, but you know, very unhelpful. Yeah. <laughs> She's not permitted to talk about anything else, despite his questioning. And then the gong rings, and apparently that means it's time for exercise. So uh, I'm going to be doing uh, jumping jacks. Well, the party are taken back into the arena where they were beamed in and begin practicing fighting with long pole weapons. I'm going to swing this. Uh, don't cut my head off, please. Uh, ow. Then Colt enters with a bound man and that they're told that this man was inobedient to an order and they are going to use him as a training dummy as punishment. Well, this doesn't seem very sporting. Does he have laser eyes too? The party refuses, uh, prompting Galt to order that Uhura instead should be used as the training dummy, but Kirk runs in and says because he's the commander, he takes responsibility and is instead used as the training dummy. No, I, I, I guess that means we're all not all going to be killed by Uhura at least, so that's something. Big guy with teeth uses a whip and net to try to kill Kirk, who's now bound. Uh, Kirk, however, dodges most of this, apparently badly, because he's got some blood and stuff on his back, but he's doing okay for a guy with his hands tied behind his back. And I think there's like a a whip mark on his uh, back after the commercial break. uh, Yes. And so, obviously, they had some makeup changes. (laughs) He kicks the big guy, and then there's a rest period in which Shauna gives him a nourishing drink and tells him that the guy is weak on his left side. So when they go back into the fight, Kirk manages to get his hands in front of him and strangle the big dude. Well, I guess Kirk wins at everything forever, even when he's tied up. Then a big voice from the sky tells them to stop. This is apparently Provider 1. As well as Providers 2 and 3, they are all impressed and start bidding large numbers of Quatloos on the crew. Kirk doesn't much care for this. He's worth at least 50 million Quatloos after all, right? Provider 1 winds up winning them and turns their collars red as a mark of being the property of Provider 1. They also all take bets on whether or not the crew will be able to be trained or whether they'll have to wind up killing them eventually. Hmm. So these are uh, betting peoples of some sort. But where are they? What are they? The big booming voices. Yes, the big, the big giant head. Wait, just the voice. <laughs> Shauna and Kirk go running outside the training area when they get tired by some ruins. Well, Kirk gets tired. She makes fun of him for being tired. Yeah, she has way uh, higher constitution. Yeah, you know, she's not even having to roll. So he tries to ask her about the providers, but she doesn't know very much. In fact, this is. Kind of a long scene where she doesn't know about it very much at all. Yep. He asks about the ruins. She also doesn't know. 
he asks if she's ever thought about the stars and the planets. And she's like, but those little light things, they can't have people living on them. It's like, but no, there's planets like this one around all the little lights. Oh my god, you've blown my tiny little mind, I guess. Wow. Um, wait, does this mean Kirk succeeded as wisdom safe? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then Kirk explains that this planet sucks because they're all slaves. And they aren't allowed to love each other. The most important thing, apparently. Yes. Well, is it before this point or after this point that she sort of suggests that, you know, if he does well, they, you know, she might become his uh, a chosen or something like I think that. I think it was right around there. Okay. Like the providers Just... might order us to breed for purposes of offspringing. Yeah. So uh, I guess we have to make the providers happy so we could have a happy ever after. She starts to tell him about the providers this time, but that makes them turn her collar on for a really long time. So apparently this being away from the arena was not far enough. Mm -hmm. Kirk gets really angry and yells at the sky for a while. When the collar shuts off, he says he wants to help her and kisses her. And then Galt pops out of nowhere and tells Kirk that he's amusing, but that won't protect him forever. All right, Galt. How can I be more amusing? Dance, I guess. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Back on the ship, Scotty and McCoy are, for some reason, not okay with following their only lead. And they tell Spock that they want to turn around. And Spock tells them to shut up or declare mutiny already. Which is kind of amusing, but it's kind of pointless at the same time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Whole thing's pointless. Yes. <laughs> They're like, we should look for them. We couldn't find them. We found this energy thing. But, but, we should look for them. Well, yes, that's what we're doing. <laughs> um, do you have other suggestions? Uh, we, we could follow this thing until it leads us nowhere, and then we can go back and look at the, where we already looked already before, and why are we Why are you even asking, guys? Chill. Yeah, for some reason, this episode finds it necessary to cut back to the ship half a dozen times for them to do nothing. Yes. <laughs> so I guess so the three of them can get some screen time. Yes, we're scanning, we're traveling, we're arguing, we're scanning. <laughs> Shauna brings Kirk more food in his cell and tells him that she is uncomfortable with the way he's been acting around her and that if she were allowed, she would ask to not have to train him anymore. Kirk doesn't like that and grabs her and kisses her and then punches her in the face and knocks her out. Wow, Kirk. Um, I don't think this is the start of a healthy relationship. He then grabs her key and breaks out himself, Chekhov, and Ahura. So the uh, the giant voices in the sky uh, could see them outside the arena, but not right inside their own house. They run into the arena, but Galt appears and knocks them out with the collars. What did you think was going to happen? Maybe they should have worked on getting the collars off before this point. Mm -hmm. The Enterprise arrives, but the providers turn it off. Don't worry, your ship is here, but it doesn't matter. They let Kirk and the ship talk to each other for some reason. Uh, just to make sure everyone's on you know, on board of this whole being doomed thing, you know. Yep, so everyone's on the same page now. Yeah, professional courtesy. Kirk gives a brief recap of what's going on for the ship and demands to see the providers. And he's taken to a large underground cavern where three small colored blob brains announce themselves as the superior beings, the providers. Wait a moment, I know one of these brains. That's David Lister. They long ago evolved beyond the need for things like bodies. I guess. <laughs> and now they're all really bored and spend all of their time gambling. Maybe you guys should have thought of a different far future for your species here. Also, why is there only three of you? Yeah, those three specifically evolved beyond the need for bodies, I guess. Maybe the rest of their civilization uh, was sacrificed in order to promote just them. Kirk suggests that if they are gamblers, then they should gamble bigger. We're going to gamble for 5 million quatloos now as opposed to 5,000? He tells them that if he defeats their chosen champion, that they have to let all their slaves go free and teach them how to run a functioning society. But if he loses, then every single person on the ship will willingly be their slaves. So says Kirk. Well, yeah, he's the captain. There, there might be a point where not everyone on the ship will go willingly, Kirk, you know? They all agree, but say that he has to fight three champions. Well, Kirk has already uh, demonstrated he has enough hit points, and uh, 
His uh, dex and uh, strength are pretty good, so uh, I guess it's reasonable, especially since he's like level 20 and, well, the, the other uh, gladiators are like level 15s. Kirk is put in the ring, again, the arena place. He's fighting against big guy with a whip, normal dude with a net, and a random Andorian we've never seen before. Yeah, that's just an extra. The providers put the fight on the view screen as well so that everyone can see Kirk fight people. They don't even have to pay for this pay-per-view broadcast here. Getting Gorn flashbacks, I guess. Yes. (laughs) Galt explains that there are a lot of rules to this fight to the death. If there's an injury, the fighter is to be replaced. And Kirk can only step on the yellow parts of the arena. And the other people can only step on the blue parts of the arena. And of course, all of these rules are ignored at some point. They begin. Kirk immediately steps on the wrong color. No one seems to care. The others immediately step on the wrong color. No one seems to care. (laughs) He kills the Andorian and the other big dude, but he just wounds the third guy. And they are ordered to be replaced with Shauna. Oh no, Shauna! Now, Kirk has to choose whether or not he wants to kill his love interest or stay enslaved. Oh no! Moral dilemmas. Well, um, um, Kirk, uh, pull a Kirk. Yes, Kirk just pins her, and she says, I surrender, and I guess that means he wins. It's the death of honor, I guess. <laughs> the providers free everyone and go, okay, fine, we'll teach them how to have a free-functioning society, bye. Okay, then. Bye. <laughs> Shauna wants to come with them. Kirk says she can't for reasons. Um... Uh, and that doesn't explain, and then he beams away. And then they all leave, and the people on the, the thralls on the planet are left there, still technically under the you know, purview of the brains in the, in the cave place there. She stares up at the sky and says, I will remember, and I will learn. That's a hopeful ending? I guess, yeah. Now the brain people are going to teach them democracy, I guess, and then they're going to be fine, and it's great. I'm not even convinced they're going to teach them that. Because remember, these are three brains that have been in this facility somewhere near the arena place there, probably underground, you know. Uh, And they've been probably there for, you know, centuries, thousands of years, maybe even millions of years. I don't remember. I don't really care. And they might not have any clue how to run a civilization anymore. (laughs) Or if they did the first place. Kirk said, and they were like, okay, fine. But obviously whatever's going on, like, works fine, apart from the being forced to fight each other to the death. Like, everybody has enough food. Seems, like, relatively to be, like, in good health. So, like, arguably all you need to do is, like, stop, stop telling them when to breed and make them stop fighting each other to the death and like let whatever is making the food keep doing that and there you go so, so you, you already have your post-scarcity society you just need to like let people be like free so, so yeah that yeah. was an episode <laughs> yeah they they got to slavery bad which i guess is the first episode that they've gotten to that in so it took them a while but yes they did <laughs> Oh, man. But kind of an awkward episode overall. Yeah. There's there's a weird sexual assault bit for no reason. Well, it's to show you that the, the, uh, the people here are really intense about this brutality thing, I guess. But didn't the whole violence earlier already do that? Yeah, you'd think the fighting to the death part would clue you in a little. You know... Fighting the death is kind of overblown overall, you know? Especially yeah. when you you, know, you have only so many uh, com- you know, combatants. And we, we see a, you know that there's maybe a hint that there's a whole bunch of other people they just never show because they don't want to pay for more extras. But, you know, it's still sort of a limited population situation. And you're just sort of throwing them at each other until they all die. And then you teleport more people in. This is totally inefficient. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Get to some actually interesting things. I was I was researching Roman gladiators a little bit because that's obviously what this is sort of based on. Hey, I was looking up some stuff on that too, <laughs> and it was kind of an interesting thing to look into because it was this 
they they would often fight to the death, but it was considered kind of expensive mm-hmm. because it took a lot of time and energy to train a gladiator. And often the person who like hosted whatever game would actually have to pay when one of the people who was visiting got killed. He's like, oh, man, I killed off one of your slaves with one of my slaves in this whole blood sport thing. I guess I should probably pay up. So mostly it was just an extravagant display of wealth yeah. to show off your power and influence in the community. And uh, you know, your, your superpower for uh, gladiators who's working for you that you've spent all this money training up is going to beat down your other dude there, and uh, that will be your show of dominance in the via this sort of proxy sort of situation. And I was I was looking at I was trying to find Roman philosophy, contemporary philosophy that talked about gladiators because I figured they might have some thoughts. But the only mentions that I found were basically that there were philosophical objections to gladiatorial matches, but not because they were violent, because they were extravagant expensive and mostly because the entertainment caused the people watching to lose control of their inhibitions and become too excited as spectators hmm. so you're saying you know the uh, the occurrence of like uh, soccer hooligans was uh, a, a gladiatorial uh, you know a staple as well yeah basically also too much drinking <laughs> there were even people who volunteered to be gladiators like there were vol there were civilian volunteers like non-slaves citizens of the empire who would i guess they'd be paid a certain amount to basically put themselves into a, a version of kind of indentured servitude maybe like over this course of years i'm completely beholden to whoever runs these gladiatorial matches but you would be paid a lot for doing that so i was like i know i'm a violent person but i'm too un- you know unruly to be in the army so i'm gonna go do this instead for a while and and get paid for it hooray well it's kind of an interesting thing i couldn't find a lot of information on it in rome specifically but i've been hearing some stuff uh through this other book about uh ancient greece and specifically like trojan wars and things Mm -hmm. and people of older eras had a much different way of thinking about violence and warfare and fights like this than we do in a way that's kind of difficult for a contemporary person to wrap their head around yeah it's uh seems more i guess just something that happened not necessarily something one should be just uh, struggling to avoid or something like that well sort of the the main thing that came out of the the book was that the intentional dehumanization and othering of your enemy was not something that was done at least during the greek period Mm. and i think that carried into the roman they kind of mentioned that that um according to like as far as you can tell through some literary things that may have been something that started a little more with um, christian writing like early christian writing so you wouldn't be dehumanizing your enemies. You would see them as a full person. Just both of you had to fight each other because that's what you were doing. And you would have like respect for the other person's abilities and you would be talking to each other while you were having this engagement. Sort of, uh, I guess, the uh, uh, more uh, contemporary-ish uh, sort of uh, vibe would be uh, the... the um... Uh, the swashbuckler, where you got the uh, people with the, the fencing swords and they're and they're bantering back and forth, and that's not kind of unrealistic, but you know that's yeah, I guess something a little more like that, where you would have you'd ba- basically both respect each other's abilities, and it's kind of this honor-based system that they sort of try to do with Klingons and stuff later on in the in the show. I don't know if they really understood it very well. Yeah, they were trying something, and yeah, <laughs> and I'm not really trying to say that that's a better way of handling it just the way that people would think about that kind of fighting and dying in combat is much much different than the version of it that we would think of today where today it's more of you know violence is more often used to either control people uh, specifically or in mass combat sort of situations where you, you know you have no real uh, you, know, you have, often have situations where you can't even see the uh, the other side's face 
Now, gladiatorial matches may have been different because they were often uh, enslaved people from war prisoners of war that Rome would capture. And it was this very weird sport with rules, like the, the kind of modern interpretations like movies like gladiator and things where there's just this massive amount of chaos and random stuff happening and steampunk crossbows and things uh that was a very weird movie so what you're saying is maybe a little bit more closer to modern professional wrestling than it is a lot um, more because there's good historical evidence for there having been referees or at least something analogous who were on the field um Gladiators were trained in different fighting styles, like some ranging from heavily armored and very slow to basically not armored at all, but with a long range like trident or spear weapon. And yeah, a to, lot to poke you from far away, move. A lot of the kind of like sport of a gladiatorial game was was debating, you know, I the what like speed and defense versus you know speed and agility versus slowness and defense is as fighting styles. Oh, yeah. what, what sort of, what sort of th uh, side of this would uh, give you the better numbers in order to uh, uh, effectively defend or DPS or whatever? But as with a lot of things, like the, the actual main parts of this were an extravagant display of wealth because it took just immense fortunes to be able to afford to keep a lot of people like that and train them as gladiators and put on these matches. And they became such a part of Roman life and politics that uh, I think it was um, Aurelius. I, one of the philosopher emperors did, like, did not like, openly did not like gladiatorial matches, but still paid for them because it was just a essential part of Roman politics. Uh, Marcus Aurelius uh, encouraging blunt weapons. Is that what you're yes, mentioning here? I think yeah. so, yes. I forgot to write down the name in my notes. Yes, uh, that was like in the late 100s, I think it was. But that, I don't know. Now we have whatever this was. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is, a, you know, it, it, there are some connect, you know, con, you know, connections we've sort of already drawn between the episode and those sort of Romanesque sort of things. But uh, the, the thing that it's is the episode sort of goes on is this emphasis on gambling, the gambling aspect. Uh, and so uh, maybe, maybe we should talk a little bit like sports gambling. Yeah. I don't get it, yeah. personally. <laughs> I tried gambling once. The slot machine took my money, and I got mad at it, and I stopped. It's like, well, this was not a fun game. I'm out. <laughs> but uh, I, I guess it kind of comes to go back to that... Uh, you know, you know the gladiatorial Roman uh, times. You, you have these sort of debates over defense versus speed and all that fun stuff. It's very similar in uh, spirit to oh, the forty nine niners are going to have this sort of season because of this player or something like that. On this, uh, the, you know, this, this other sports ball team is going to you know go all the way and uh, really and uh, you know take take the the home uh, um, the the home team to state and all that fun stuff. Uh, because X, Y, and Z, and it's all sort of there's a uh, uh, idea of uh, analysis of the teams, the players, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, the strategies in order to try to come up with a a idea of how the outcome is going to be. And then there's that human sort of itch of okay, if I am so smart and I can figure out the most likely outcome given all this information I know about the, the sport, the players, and all that fun stuff, then maybe I can use this to adva my advantage and make some money off of it. And hence, gambling. Well, from the like context of the episode and other things that I've heard, not being a person who does gambling or talks to very many people who do, just from random things that I've heard and read, uh, a lot of it seems to be to add extra stakes to something yeah. that you're not otherwise directly involved in so it creates a sense of investment in yeah, the proceedings saying, you know, investment that you otherwise wouldn't get like people enjoy watching sports because they want to you know it see the artistry or the root for their teams and such like but if you are putting down like an actual risk then you have a much you know more engaging reason to pay attention and care about the outcome it goes from appreciation of the sport to 
the thrill of consequences. As far as we can tell, now, obviously we weren't given very much detail in the you know economic systems at play on this particular planet. But Just that they have quite loose. <laughs> yeah. This is three brains in jars who... It's not even jars, one jar. <laughs> they <yeah>. shared it. <laughs> three brains in a jar. And they don't seem to need to use money for things like like maybe there's some weird thing that they're doing to like like you know we have to use it to divvy up how much energy we get in the machine or some such that we're not privy to but there doesn't seem to be any way for one for them to use money or to make money outside of just gambling on things and they argue kind of that the only reason that they do it is because they have basically become so advanced that they're bored. So they'd want something that has stakes, that, and they, this is the biggest stakes they can come up with. Which is gets to a fairly common trope in various things of just this, you know, disaffected, has everything they could possibly want, and is tired of life rich person who is going to, you know, start gambling on things that you normally wouldn't gamble on kind of like the you know the most dangerous game sort of idea where you know people are so rich and bored of normal things that they start hunting people for sport because it's the only thing that can give them true entertainment anymore because they've become so separate and disconnected from humanity and are normal things that give us pleasure i must have the, the ultimate challenge, and what other challenge is more ultimate than human beings? So, uh, here's your stick, here's my gun, don't worry, I'm going to keep the gun the whole time. You you have fun with your stick over there. Wait, I just broke your stick, bye! And they managed to give themselves a somewhat unfortunate subtext to this by saying that the brains developed into brains and advanced beings specifically by being academics. Yeah. I guess this, this sort of perspective could potentially strike anyone uh, because I will, uh, uh, you know, you know, as someone, you know, with a academic background, I will, uh, you know, uh, never claim that, you know, we're, you know, someone of that background is necessarily ethically or you know whatever you know, it's uh, way you want to uh, uh, strike it uh, better than other people it just you made a different life choice as far as what, what you want to start to pursue in your life um but it is and so it is very you know i guess believable to me that just the worst people ended up getting this point <laughs> so it's like oh this is actually kind of believable oh oh dear <laughs> as far as the context of what they're doing they have like three brains who became brains by being brainier than other people and now they are so disaffected that they have to literally bet on blood sports for no reason other than betting on blood sports which is puts like here's academic braininess versus you know kirk's ability to fight and win because he doesn't you know outsmart them or something he bets on himself being stronger than everyone else for no particular reason other than that he believes himself to be well they don't even make a particular argument for him being free gives him some level of extra something or other that the others don't have it's just no well, kirk he's kirk, kirk and kirk he's just remembers the previous uh, episodes in the series that's all he has going for him <laughs> So yes. he, he knows he has, he has main character plop, uh, you know, immunity. <laughs> but no, yeah, we're, we're right though. It's, it's it's sort of ridiculous. Kirk just was like, "Well, I am just assuming I'm awesome, and thus I'm going to be able to win. So I'm not going to try any other sort of way to negotiate a solution to this matter. You know, maybe like give the brains something else to do. How about that? But again, they kind of did in a way. They they switched from uh, from uh, you know, watching uh, you know uh, uh, MOBA games to uh, grand strategy games instead. When you think about it, I thought was kind of the argument they were going to go for. Like I thought, 
at first, like, oh, they're saying that they do this because they're bored, and he's going to present them the challenge of building a society. That would have been like a much better, much more uh, sensible uh, uh, offer as opposed to, well, I'm just going to beat up some guys now. He uses their gambling sin against them, basically. But not in a clever way, just in a, I know I'm better than you way. Here's something I would have kind of liked to have seen as an alternative. That there'd be, say, I don't know, divisions in philosophy between the brains. So maybe one brain would only accept a fight to the death sort of solution that we got in the episode. Another one would be all about finding anything else to do in general. And one would still need it to be, uh, an alternative would still need to be couched as a bed of some sort. Uh, and so, you know, Kirk would have to, would sort of dabble, you know, poke at each of these options until he figures out, I can get at least two of them on board with one of these. But it has to be, you know, of this this nature. Uh, and that would either you know, lead to the you know, similar solution to what we got in the episode or the, you know, I'm going to bet that you can't build, you know, turn t- these uh, gladiators you got into a, into a civilization. And they're like, well, of course we can. And what do you mean? We're, we're just awesome. It's like, well, if you're so awesome, then why don't you do it? You know, prove me wrong. And uh, if you're able to pull it off and say, I don't know, uh, 300 years, we'll come back and become your slaves. How about that? <laughs> That would have required characterization and might have taken time away from making out with their guest lady. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Guess we can't have that. <sighs> hmm. So, yeah. That's kind of a silly ending. <laughs> well, the only other thing that I could think of when I was researching this stuff was the good old brain in jars scenarios. Oh, yeah. I didn't even think about that. Which is actually kind of interesting when I was looking at it, because the the brain in a jar is a pretty classic philosophical skeptic uh, thought experiment. And How do you know you're not a brain in a jar, Gepwin? Yeah, I don't, basically. How do you know I'm not? You're a potato. <laughs> oh, yeah. We covered this. <laughs> Gotta pay attention to the deep lore. How do you know I'm not a potato in a jar, then? <laughs> So what I thought was kind of interesting is the brain in a jar hooked up to a computer that's just feeding you information is actually a kind of modern updating of an original thought experiment that Descartes was using for his initial realm of philosophical skepticism uh, called the evil demon thought experiment. I love those evil demons. His basic idea was pretty much the same. What if a demon of unknown power was trying to convince me of a false version of reality. Like, how would I actually know that what I was seeing was real as opposed to some, you know, supernatural being just showing me something? guess I'd have to question what, what purpose a demon would have in such a thing. But the basic idea with the philosophical skeptics, which hits its usefulness limits, is everything that you experience as a person is your brain interpreting external inputs. So if you, uh, you, you, you know, don't got those inputs, you don't, you know, how are you going to interact with the world? How are you going to perceive it? How are you going to understand it? And it's kind of that thing, people bring this up from time to time, like, you know, nothing is actually a color the way we perceive it. We are just looking at a reflection of light in a certain wavelength that is interpreted by our brain as being a color that we see. And uh, yeah, I, I've thought you know, for, for years and years, I thought about this exact question. It was like, how could I describe, say, the color green without just calling it green? Is there is there, is there other words in the language that could convey the impression I'm getting from looking at this particular color that would give people an idea of how I perceive it? That is, you know, you know, and how I might be able to determine uh, how they perceive it differently, if at all. And I couldn't come up with a good answer. So. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and it's basically impossible. And yeah. <laughs> it's a useful thing to to say, like, your knowledge has basic limits. And you, if you're trying to start as observation as a place of certainty, how can you be certain of those observations? If you don't got good sensors, what up? Now, of course, philosophical skepticism reaches a 
kind of logical uselessness at a certain point because you can all day sit there and go about how do you know but at a certain point you have to move on yeah <laughs> it's like well assuming i know something then what does that mean <laughs> and then you can actually move forward perhaps and it's, uh, it's sort of dead end that was kind of the ending that they used for the brain in the jar stuff in next generation when they did the thing with uh, moriarty Mm -hmm. that we'll get to in a while but they basically trapped someone in a you know input unreal universe that they couldn't tell the difference of and then they were there so fine uh, i believe moriarty shows up the first time in season two and the second time in season six or seven or something like that i think so, so that's gonna be a while off but like that could have been a way to deal with the brain things because how are they actually getting sensory inputs or what kind of sensory inputs are they getting they seem to be hooked up to a computer Mm -hmm. they don't have sensory organs as far as anyone can tell yeah they, they glow when they talk but that's about it also the other thing that people don't really bring up with this we've kind of mentioned it from time to time this idea that you could take your brain and put it in something else and it'd still work right <laughs> yeah now aside from even if you assume that you can hook it up to something that would keep it alive and a sort of artificial circulatory system that will feed with nutrients and uh, oxygen and all that good stuff. There's just a certain way of taking inputs that your mind, like your brain would, would have structured itself for that just wouldn't function anymore. Yeah, you know, basically, your ears are USB plugs and uh, your, your, t your tongue is serial uh, you know, ports and all that fun stuff. Now, Eyes HDMI. <laughs> you could, like they say in this thing, if you understood brains well enough, you could probably put inputs into it that would be, you know, essentially the same as what you were getting. But things like you can put your brain in a robot body or you can swap brains with a, even another person. Like the the difference that your brain would suddenly be facing would render you basically incapable of doing anything. It'd be uh, it'd require quite a learning experience. There's um, there's at least one story, but there's several stories of things like this with people who were born blind, so they never had any vision at all, mm -hmm. and then when they were an adult, some sort of medical technology um, has an advance, and they're able to fix whatever it is that happened when they were born, and mm -hmm. give them give their eyes the ability to hook up to their brain again basically yeah, your plug's loose we're just gonna put that in there there we go many many people don't like it and actually don't have anything that you would basically describe as vision uh at least one person the one that i can remember offhand basically said he would see a cat walk by but he wouldn't see a cat he'd see a bunch of disconnected like here's a paw and a tail and a weird sense of movement and the color black and just all this weird disconnected things because he wasn't used to seeing stuff it's a skill that you have to learn you just don't remember it because you were an infant so there's sort of a, a collection of uh, data pieces that you know that you know the, the the infant brain is more able to learn how to uh, process than the more adult one in that case and like eventually you could learn it but it just will take some time. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people who have hit this scenario have often just had it, you know, taken away again because they do not like it and they were functioning fine before. It's like, well, now I'm just disoriented and distracted. So, eh, <laughs> before I was fine. So these ideas of like, you know, hooking your brain up to computers or putting it in robots or even brain transplants or things, like there's there's stuff people are not considering. You you need some excessive advances in understanding the brain and perhaps restructuring it in order to make it, uh, uh, you, know, or, you know, artificially in order to make it sort of work out properly. And then you hit weird stuff like, you know, muscle memory. Where's mm -hmm. that? Is that in the brain know. or the nervous <laughs> system or the muscles Maybe themselves? Yeah. You have Maybe it's neural material in your gut, you know. As I say, maybe it's in your stomach. <laughs> yeah. My gut instinct says that I need to jump now. Oh, God. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff that you don't consider with this. <laughs> also, I was kind of wondering, generally, economically, 
they don't seem to be able to make money in any other way other than gambling that we've seen. So, like, if one of the three runs out of money, can they not gamble anymore? That, well, maybe that's why there's only three brains left. All the others have been unplugged. Yeah, if, out of money. if you run out of money, you get unplugged from the system. <laughs> I, I've, saw, I've cracked the case. I found the solution. <laughs> the entire so, thing is based we... around there being three brains. They have three suns. They have three brains. Their symbol has three things. There's three colors on the one dude's necklace. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. So, so the three is probably not a a, a recent development. Then, hmm. then again, now I'm thinking about Rama. But again, anyway, they named their <laughs> planet Triskelion. Well, it used to be Quadrillion, but then we had to blow up a star because one of us died. So, <laughs> I didn't find any information on this, but I still bet that this is at least somewhat inspired by Game Masters of Mars, where alien beings who were basically just heads with spider legs who sit in you know empty bodies to move around capture people from the rest of mars and use them in giant living chess masters that sounds awesome <laughs> yeah it's a probably it's a much better story all right <laughs> maybe we'll cover that someday <laughs> like every other one of the edgar rice burroughs mars stories it's eventually solved by the guy from earth being superior and punching people Punch it harder and everything will go right. Hooray! Yeah, that's kind of the... That's basically the core of that. And Tarzan. Those books are very punch-heavy. There's maybe one more quick thing I was going to touch upon, given that these are supposed to be brains that are so much more, quote, advanced than us. Would this count as, like, uh, like, uh, animal blood sport, in that case? I mean, if you were going to think of it as them actually being more advanced if you could have some sort of level in the context of the episode yeah they would probably think of it as something like animal blood sports which we also generally think of as immoral yep (laughs) so we're immoral from either this side or that side Hmm. these brains are not not nice people no maybe they'll have a follow-up episode in the in the uh, picard show where they go triskelion and we we have the, uh, like, Picard's like, I'm going to now lecture you brains until you finally get over yourselves. That'd be interesting. That should be a functioning society, Kirk said. Yeah, yeah and uh, uh, they haven't just turned it into Crusader Kings, the the Star Trek version. That was an episode of Stargate Atlantis. Yes. <laughs> I was trying not to mention it directly because I think I've mentioned it in that episode before, so... It's one of the better episodes. Because uh, like, uh, Rodney like, gets his face on the flag, and that's how they recognize him when they show him on the planet. And they're like, oh, it's our, it's our it's not provider, but you know, our, 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 our person, our, our, the person that we talked to through the computer thingamajig. Hooray! Well, it's Tell us the, what, how to beat up the other guys. It's the absolute best version of what if the video games were real that I've ever seen in a TV show. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I still have some questions about the timeline as far as how quickly the societies are changing there, but yeah, it kind of works. Yeah, it's evil. It's like magic ancient technology. It's fine. Yeah, they can, you know, teach everybody. It's like, yes, you now have the ability to create uh, this machine because the machine told you to. You didn't actually develop it, but you got enough knowledge points in order to do it. So you were able to do it because we told you to. Anyway, this has not been this is not yet a Stargate show. Maybe eventually, but not yet. <laughs> anyway, um, got anything else, or uh, we about to, out of random things to talk about at this point? Well, we've stopped talking about Star Trek for a bit now, so, so. <laughs> I think it's time for the galaxy's favorite game show. <laughs> Welcome everybody to the game show portion of the show where we've been watching our contestants tallying up their points, uh, getting their uh, Quatlu numbers high, and uh, doing all that uh, you know arena fighting except for you know trivia questions. Wait, is this trivia question? Is I don't remember what we what we actually uh, ask questions about. Anywho, we got four awards today. The first one is the sufficiently advanced aliens award, which guess 
guess what? It goes to those provider peoples for being seemingly all-powerful beings who are only defeated by the power of gambling. What do they win, Gapwin? The providers win a video game system probably give them much more entertainment than gambling apparently useless amounts of made-up currencies on blood sports. Hmm. I'll make sure they have a copy of Skyrim already loaded up. Our second award is the Teaching Aliens How to Love Award, which goes to Kirk for teaching Shauna, Shauna, the meaning of love, among other things, I guess. What does he win, Gepwin? Kirk gets to register as a sex offender again. For I mean, he, he grabbed her and then punched her out. There's no good yeah. thing about this, and her wanting to be still with him at the end is disturbing and stupid and should stop doing that. I suspect the Federation keeps moving Kirk from sector to sector because they uh, keep running this problem. Hmm. Maybe you should just, I don't know, make him not a captain anymore. But anywho, our third award is the Not Cool Man Award, which I have going to Lars because seriously, he's just the worst for what he tried to do to Yohura. Or maybe he did. I'm not sure. I don't want to think about it too much right now. What does he win, Gepwin? Lars wins being dead. Good. I think he just <laughs> did in the episode anyway, so... Good. He can remain dead, and I'll be happy about that. Our last award is the Carry the Whip Award, which goes to Galt for being able to activate the punishment neck thingies whenever he, uh, you know, just kind of as a, a whim to. Uh, what does he win, Gepwin? Galt wins being buried with the providers as they did with the ancient pharaohs for loyal, you know, slave people who kept everyone else in line. Hmm. I think in this case that just kind of means standing in the cave with them for the rest of time. Yes. Which I guess is not so bad, but you know. Hold very, very still. Pretend you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> That's all the awards for today. I hope everyone had a good time and or died. Yay! <laughs> well, I, I guess Kirk uh, probably should be dying then. Hmm. Anyway. <laughs> and thank you all for joining us on this, the galaxy's favorite game show! Well then. It's Earth 2. Earth 2? Wait. You mean we get to go to not 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 the cowboy planet or the German uh, World War 2 planet, but the mafia planet? It's mafia planet. Yay! <laughs> Next episode is a piece of the action. Hmm, action. Action. Where the As crew in, uh, of the Enterprise are ordered to go to a planet that is exactly like Earth, except everyone is gangsters. Yes. So, a gangster planet, mafia world. Everyone get your Tommy gun, and we're going to have some 1920s-isms, I guess, maybe? Yep. 1920s gangsters carrying Tommy guns. And, and, having, and hats. Yep. And hats, suits. suits. It's basically it. Yeah. <laughs> That's basically the show. It's, it's yes. <laughs> Star Trek, but Tommy Gun Planet. Not to be confused so, with Nazi Planet, Cowboy Planet, Roman Planet, Greek Planet, Native American Planet. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> um, other you know, uh, indigenous culture planet. Um, oh, post apocalyptic uh, communist planet. Oh, and uh, yeah, children planet. Already been there, remember? Yes. <laughs> so, uh -huh. Planet of Hats. <laughs> yes, the Planet of Hats. I I think I've seen this one once, but I remember nothing about it other than Gangster Planet. Yeah, I'm similar about. I'm not even sure if I've seen the whole thing. So, <laughs> Kirk distracts the guards by teaching them the fictional game of Fizzbin. Okay. All right. Is that like uh, physics ball? Yes. Sweet. So I'll, I'm going to get my, my rolling chair, and we're going to get a, a racquetball, and we're going to have a great old time here. The physics ball thing was the best. That was the best episode of Sliders. <laughs> I don't remember that one, actually. They go to a planet where the dominant sport is some sort of quiz-based oh, game of dodgeball. I, I do remember that now and you know because uh you know the, the one guy is such a smarty he's like you know one of the top players and you know he's you know has to go and play the game for a while something like that 
Yeah, it's basically the, what if being smart was the same thing as being a sports star? Oh, wait, being a sports star is actually terrible. Yes. <laughs> so, Mafia time next time. Yes. Next time, Mafia Planet, which we can learn more about next week on Watchers of Tomorrow. Next time on Watchers of Tomorrow, Cargo Cult, but with gangsters. You have been listening to Watchers of Tomorrow, a podcast on science fiction media. Find and follow Watchers of Tomorrow on Podbean, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Spreader, Digital Podcast, and perhaps many more to come. If you enjoy our podcast, make sure to subscribe for more. And where possible, make sure to rate your experience or leave us a review. You may find Gepwin on youtube.com slash Gepwin and Twitter at Gepwin. You may find me, Dr. Isix, on youtube.com slash Dr. Isix and Twitter at IsixLP. Music is Waveform and Mori's Principle, both by DRKRN. You can also check out the Watchers of Tomorrow Discord channel. Make sure to share the experience with your friends, family, enemies, and alien overlords. If you feel you are suffering from transporter syndrome, please be aware that the next time you step off the transporter, that you, that is now, no longer exists. <laughs>